invite you now to find in your bulletin the scripture passage that we'll look at this morning and consider from the gospel according to Matthew chapter 28 verse 16 through 20. Hear now the reading of God's holy and infallible word. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So far the reading of God's word. May the Holy Spirit add his blessing to it, illuminating our minds and our hearts to understand and apply it well. Amen. Well, last week we considered together how because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God's kingdom is already present here in this world. It's here, it's present, and yet not fully realized. Not until he returns will the fullness of his kingdom come. And we saw how that reality gives us hope and direction in our mission as the church which is, as we said, to make die-hard disciples of Jesus Christ. The Great Commission, right? Amen. We can all go home and we have the Great Commission before us. Well, why do I say that? Well, because we assume that we understand what it is because we've heard it so much. We've heard about the Great Commission many times. If you've been a Christian uh, for a few years even, you've probably heard mention the Great Commission. But here's the problem. What exactly does that mean? Go make disciples. How do we go about doing that? Why should we engage in this specific mission? You see, we all say, yeah, I already know that. We all kind of say that intuitively in our hearts. But we need to sit here a while. We need to sit here again and slow down and meditate on the different aspects of what the mission is that Jesus gave the church. And why? not just so that we can be uh, more fruitful in our endeavors as individuals, but so that we together as a church community can have a common understanding and commitment to it. So we could be united in our understanding of what this mission is. And just think about that. How powerful it would be if we as a church family were all on the same page and fully committed to the mission that Jesus gave us. And that's, that's what our aim is this morning. That's our objective. And we see here in this holy text, we discover that the mission of the church is laid out before us. And he shows us how we can be more faithful and more fruitful in it as well. And Jesus is going to give us three things here for us to consider. First, the missional power. Secondly, the missional protocol. And thirdly, the missional promise. But first, let's look at that power, the missional power. We see here that our mission has a clear starting point, the person and work of Christ. Every aspect of the mission that is before us flows from who Jesus is, what he said, and what he's done 
for us through His death and resurrection. And so too, our power to fulfill this mission flows from Jesus. It flows from His power and His authority as King. Notice in verse 16 and 17 that Jesus' disciples, well, they're following His directives. They went to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. Jesus, we see, He's their commanding officer. He is their King. And they're following Him. But He is far more than that. He is far greater than a mortal King. Matthew tells us that when they saw Jesus, they worshipped Him. They worshipped Him. He also says, but some doubted. Now, the fact that these ancient Jewish men were found worshiping a man. No, this this is shocking. This is scandalous. Because only the Lord their God, the God of Israel, is worthy of worship and praise. And the God of Israel says over and over again in the Old Testament that we are to worship Him and Him alone. He is jealous for His glory. He will not give it to anyone else. And so the only explanation for this behavior from the disciples, the fact that they're worshiping a man, the only explanation is that these Jewish men came to believe that their standing in front of them in human nature was in fact the God of Israel in human flesh. Radical. As the famous hymn says, veiled in flesh the Godhead see Hail the incarnate deity. Now what happened? What happened to convince these men that before them stood the incarnate deity? Well, we looked at it a couple weeks ago. The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. That event changed their outlook. They could no longer look at Jesus just as their teacher, their rabbi, their leader. No. They saw him now as their sovereign Lord. Their king, the king of kings, their God. The resurrection was a game changer for them, a paradigm shifter. They saw the whole world differently now through the lens of Jesus' resurrection. And in his letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul, he explains that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, it was by His resurrection from the dead that He was declared, that He was made evidently the King of kings, the Lord of lords. It was through that resurrection event. And so, we see that our mission starts with the person and work of Christ. It begins with worship of Jesus, and it ends with worship of Jesus as our King and our Savior. And so, too, our goal in the mission as a church is to honor and glorify God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. To serve Him as our King, realizing, recognizing, affirming His true identity. But before we move on, I love that Matthew also adds a line here that uh, after saying that that they were worshiping Him, he says, but some doubt it. That's a bit interesting. Why do I like that? Why why does that comfort me? Well, I think it normalizes doubt in the Christian life. That our faith will always be mixed with a bit of doubt, a bit of confusion, a bit of uncertainty. 
and clearly a bit of mystery, but that's okay. That's, that's normal. And this is important because the power that we rely on to fulfill our mission as the church, as Christians, does not depend upon the strength of our faith, but rather upon the strength of our King. His authority, His power is what we rely on, what we depend upon. So as Jesus' disciples worshipped Him, some doubting, He tells them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And He says that in order to embolden us, in order to strengthen us. How so? Well, because Jesus is saying that nothing, nothing can thwart His plans and His purposes in this world. There may be and there will be rival authorities to King Jesus and to the church, both physical and spiritual authorities that oppose Him and oppose us. We will face that in our mission. But even those authorities are under Christ's dominion, under His power, under His rule. He is absolutely sovereign, the Lord and giver of all life. And so, that means that the success of our mission depends not on us, but on Jesus' total authority over all things. That is meant to strengthen us, to embolden us, to go forward with confidence. In his classic book, uh, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, J.I. Packer says, Faith in the sovereignty of God's government and grace is the only thing that can give us the resilience that we need if we are to evangelize boldly and persistently. Packer goes on to say, While we must always remember that it is our responsibility to proclaim salvation, we must never forget that it is God who saves. It is God who brings men and women to faith in Christ. Our evangelistic work is the instrument that God uses for His purposes. But the power that saves is not in the instrument. It is in the hand of the one who uses the instrument. So God uses us as instruments, but the power resides in Him. The power to save is in God, not in us. And that means that the making of converts or the making of disciples, which is our mission does not depend on us. Rather, it depends on God. We go as ambassadors of King Jesus, as the Apostle Paul spoke of himself, as an ambassador of Christ, an ambassador of reconciliation, speaking on his behalf and with his authority entrusting to him the results. In that way, it, it, it removes off our back the pressure to produce results, knowing that the results ultimately rely on King Jesus. As Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. We do our part, but ultimately it's God who gives the increase. It's God who produces the work of salvation in others. And so we see that the power to make disciples resides in King Jesus and his, his authority over all things. So that was our first point. Our second point is the thing that Jesus gives us here is a protocol, a protocol for the mission. A protocol is an official procedure or system of rules governing affairs or a state or a dip diplomatic occasion. And that's what Jesus is giving us here. We are the ambassadors of King Jesus and he's giving us his protocol, this official procedure of what he expects us to do on his behalf in the world. And specifically, it's this, go make disciples of all nations. And there's a lot there in that text. There's, there's a lot there, and we can't 
and shouldn't cover everything today. Today, we're just going to cover some of the basics of what is here. First, what does it mean to make disciples? Make disciples. What is a disciple? Well, the Greek word behind disciples is mathetes, which simply means a learner or a student or an apprentice. And so it implies naturally teaching, teaching. It's necessary to teach others doctrine, primarily telling other people about the good news of who Jesus is, what he taught, and also what he has done for us through his life, death, and resurrection. In in a way, in a simple way, telling other people about God's story of redemption that climaxes in, in Jesus with the hero being Jesus and helping them see how that reshapes their own personal story. So they begin to see and live life differently through the lens of the gospel. But making a disciple of Jesus is more than just passing along information from one brain to another. It's not just intellectual information that we're passing along to others. It is a holistic process of making disciples. We are called to present everyone perfect or mature in Christ, which is what Paul says in Colossians 1. So the aim is conformity to the image of Jesus, that we become more and more like him in his mind, in his, like his heart, his affections, his desires, the habits and the way of life that he lived, that we begin more and more to reflect that in our own lives. You can think of it like an apprentice that follows his master um, or a, a master craftsman in his workshop in order to learn from him his special craft, his special skill, by shadowing him, right? So in the, in the workshop, he's shadowing the master craftsman. And why is that kind of learning usually necessary for very specific kinds of crafts and skills? Well, because a lot of things, a lot of things are not easily taught in a book. You can't learn them from a book. Some things are better caught than taught. And so it is in the Christian life as well. Uh, And that's why John Calvin says that being a Christian is not a doctrine of the tongue, but of life. It is not apprehended by understanding and memory alone, as other disciples are, but is received only when it possesses the whole soul and finds a seat and resting place in the inmost affection of the heart. It involves so much more than just affirming the faith intellectually. It involves a transformation of the whole self, the whole life, becoming more and more like Jesus, learning the way of Jesus, becoming more like him in every aspect of our life. And that's why making disciples doesn't end when, they're just in, when a, a new convert is initiated into the church through baptism. The task continues for all of life, which is why Jesus immediately adds afterwards, after he says, go and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he adds, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. You see, it's a lifelong process. It's a holistic process of learning the way of Christ. Now I want to make this practical. What does that mean for you and me in the mission? It means this that you don't have to be a seminary graduate in order to make disciples of other people because it's more than sharing doctrinal precision. It's more than sharing 
the robust understanding of church history. It's more than understanding all the intricacies of uh, Christian theology. It is not necessary to know Greek or Hebrew in order to make disciples. All you need to know, ultimately, is the way of Christ and to share that with other people. Yes, doctrine is important. Doctrine is important, but it's not the end all. What you need to know is who is Jesus, which is doctrine, right? And what he has done for us, doctrine. And how we follow him on a daily and a weekly basis through the highs and lows of life. Now, who of you does not know who Jesus is and what he's done for us and how to follow him in the regular practices of the Christian life? We know these things. We've learned them from watching other Christians. And some have much more experience And making disciples is passing on that experience to others, bringing others alongside you so that they shadow you and learn from you the way of Christ. We ought not to overcomplicate the task of making disciples. And I'm convinced that the problem is not really a lack of knowledge or a lack of preparation, but rather a lack of doing, a lack of doing. And perhaps the steepest hill for us, as I was meditating on this, the steepest hill in this mission might be the first one where Jesus says, go, go. You know, because we're so busy, we're so comfortable, we're so private in our lives that we often fail to go about life with the intention of making disciples. Now there's, I want to zero in on something I said there. I said go about life, not go to. What I mean is that the majority of the time, we don't have to go to another location. We don't have to go to a distant land in order to make disciples. We must believe that there are lost sheep of Jesus in the city of Ontario, in your life already, through your everyday encounters with other people, your children, your next-door neighbors, your co-workers, your clients, everyone you meet on a daily basis. These are potential disciples of Christ. So the task is not to go get on a plane and be a missionary, that may be the task for you, that might be, but rather for most of us, the task is to go out your door each day with gospel intentionality, to show others the way of Christ. That's what it means. It's more simple than we might assume. In their book entitled Everyday Church, Tim Chester and Steve Timmis says, or they say this, that evangelism is a lifestyle, not a specialist activity. Everyday mission requires everyday missionaries rather than superheroes of the faith. So the question for us, for you, is are you going about your day with prayerful intentionality, with the protocol before you of making disciples of others, showing them the way of Christ, I'm convinced that if we were to live our lives daily with a prayerful intentionality, praying in the morning and and setting our minds on the mission, that we will see before us through our daily life tons of opportunities opening up to share others, share with others the way of Christ, to share with them the news about Jesus' death and resurrection and what it means to follow him. Not because those doors of opportunity are not currently there, but because rather we're not in the habit of looking for them. We don't have our mind set on looking and waiting for those doors of opportunity. For example, if I told you today, um, 
on your way home, driving home, to look for Jeeps uh, on your drive home, I guarantee you that you will count a lot more Jeeps and see a lot more Jeeps than typically you would on a normal drive. Why? Does that mean that the Jeeps magically appeared because I told you to look for Jeeps? No. It's because your mind is set on looking for them. It's the same way with discipleship moments in life. That if our mind is set prayerfully each day, each week, looking for discipleship moments, well, they will reveal themselves to us by the Spirit of God. We need this gospel intentionality to be open to walk through those doors as God opens them before us. Those doors where there there are teachable moments to explain who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. So this is what we need to hear. To go about every day with gospel intentionality and remember that as we see those doors open before us, remember the first point that we considered. We go through with the power of Jesus, with his authority, trusting that the results will come from him. It doesn't depend on us. And that should give us a confidence to go through those doors and get through the awkwardness to talk to our neighbor, to talk to a loved one about Christ and what it means to follow him. So we've seen the power and the protocol of the mission. Lastly, let's consider briefly the promise, the promise of the mission. And Jesus King Jesus, he gives us his great promise. He says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What does this mean? Well, we know, right, that soon after these words, what did Jesus do? He ascended to the Father bodily. He left his disciples. And so in a sense, he is not physically present with the disciples. He is, in a sense, absent from them. So what what can this mean? by saying that I am with you always to the end of the age. Well, this is not just a sentimental expression that we often hear um, at funerals, right? That we will hold the person's memory in our heart and we will remember them and they will be present. They will not depart because we'll hold them in our heart. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying something real. He is promising to be present with the church in a real, mysterious way. And that real presence of Jesus, it comes to us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit at work through the Word and the sacraments. We hear our King's voice among us each week as we read His Word and hear it faithfully preached. It's as if we're hearing our Good Shepherd each week call us out by name, guiding us and leading us forward, feeding our our souls with His Word. Through his living and active word, Christ is really present among us, ever strengthening us, ever equipping us, ever conforming us to his image. Also, he is present through the waters of baptism and the bread and the wine because in that way, the Holy Spirit is bringing us into a real and mysterious participation with the body and blood of Christ. To receive by faith all the benefits, all the divine energies, all of his grace that he has won for us. And so we believe that in the celebration of the, the two holy sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, that the Spirit is uniting us more and more to Jesus and his real presence. That we might become more and more bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. 
So in these ways, through the word and sacrament, we believe that Jesus is truly with us always to the end of the world. And this is a great comfort, a great comfort that he goes before us in the mission and he, co- and he will come after us in the mission as well. In actuality, this mission that we've been considering, the mission of the church, it's God's mission. It's Jesus's mission. And he has asked us to participate in it. He invites us to join him in it. And the final results, they depend not on us, but on him and his power. And this final promise that we have here, it reminds me of another promise that Jesus gave to Peter and his apostles in Matthew 16, where Jesus says, I will build my church. I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You see, Ontario URC, Jesus, King Jesus, he is building his church. He is doing the work. And no authority can stand against him. And so if we trust in Jesus and his power and rely on him, we can go about it every day with that gospel intentionality, looking for those teachable moments to show others the way of Christ, trusting in the promise that he is always with us, ever guiding us, ever protecting us, always building his church, loving and strengthening us to the end when he will come again and restore us, renew us, and bring the fullness of his kingdom. We've seen the power, the protocol, and the promise. And this should strengthen us, encourage us to press onward in our faith, in our mission together, with a common understanding of what is our mission of making disciples of the nations, and particularly here in the city of Ontario, that we might reach those for Christ and for the glory of God, knowing that he goes before us and he will not and cannot fail us. His promises are always yes and amen in Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled by the reality of your kingdom, by the reality of our king who rules and reigns even now and is coming again. And we're humbled by the fact that you have not only pulled us into salvation and into the new humanity that you are remaking in Jesus by your spirit, but you are also inviting us to participate in your mission in this world. What a glorious task that's set before us. We have the hope of the nations. We know the gospel. We know Jesus and we can share him with others. Lord, we ask that you would remove from our hearts the fear and the awkwardness that we might have the love instead to share Jesus and his way with others around us, with our children, with our friends, our family, co-workers, our neighbors, that others might see and come to believe with us that Jesus is not only a great teacher, but he is our sovereign Lord, our King. Lord, do this work in and through us. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing now a song of application. We'll stand and sing number 488.